We're going to do something a little bit different here. I'm going to just unfold how Matthew 2 comes to pass. And then at the end, I'm going to have Birch and Connie give a little update on their last trip or where they were here because it connects to this passage and God's big plan. Uh, Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve sinned and God cast them out of the garden. If you turn with me, we're going to kind of do a little, a little travel through the Old Testament uh, here to, to get to where we want to get to in Matthew. So turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm just going to try to unfold here some of the themes that you're going to see in Matthew chapter 2 because I think it will provide a richness of this passage and help you understand how profound this is as Matthew records this. You remember the gospel writers select what they want to select here. Their, their job is not to provide a chronological moment-by-moment uh, detail of Jesus' life. Their job is to project a theme based on true events in Jesus' life in the Old Testament scriptures matching up to that to display who Jesus is. And so, this is what Matthew's doing, and over and over. In fact, in these first two chapters of Matthew, it's concentrated uh, very heavily with, and this was so that the scripture must be fulfilled. But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. They are, in verse 24, says, He drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way, or to guard the way, of the tree of life. In the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and verse 16, when Cain sins and murders his brother, his very own brother, verse 16 of chapter 4 says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelled in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. On the east. This morning's message is called From the East. Taken from Matthew 2, a phrase right in the beginning verses there, these men from the east, from the east. And, and Genesis pictures here that moving east has nothing to reflect on us on the east coast here. But moving east is, is moving away from, from the Lord, away from his presence as, as Adam did. But you know the Lord provided a way for this earlier in Genesis 3.15. And then he, he gives another clue as to how he's going to do this in Genesis chapter 12. So move over a few chapters to Genesis 12, verse 1. He takes a man out of the region of what's modern-day Babylon, in the Iran-Iraq uh, area of the world, a man named Abram. And the Lord had said to Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred, your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curses you, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God takes Abram, which he'll call Abraham, he will make a covenant with him, a promise with him, that it is through him that a great nation will come. This nation will be the one that is set on a hill for the world to see, so that all the world, all the families of the earth, all the nations, all the tribes, will come, come to the Lord. So all the families of the earth will be blessed. Later on, of course, we know that comes through the descendant of Abraham, the son of David, Jesus. That's what Matthew shows us in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> well, as this nation grows and as they're redeemed from slavery in Egypt, in Numbers chapter 24, on their journey to the promised land, they pass through a land called Moab. Moab. 
and they asked permission to pass through the land. Otherwise, they've got to take a long route around. And so they asked the king of Moab if they can just travel through the land. But he's pretty threatened by them. He's a little worried and insecure. And so he sends a prophet, Balaam, to prophesy in their false pagan religion, to prophesy in their Moabite religion against Israel and to curse them. And so Balaam gets on his donkey to do this, to go stand on a mountain and curse the Israelites on his border. And as he's on his donkey to go do this, kids, do you remember what happens to that donkey? He balks. He sees an angel standing in the way, and he must have, it was between two walls, and he must have, you know, brushed up the wall, uh, on one side of the wall, and, and brushed uh, Balaam's leg against the wall, and Balaam gets pretty ticked off, and he starts hitting the donkey with a stick, and what happens to Levi? What does that donkey do? I said Levi. Who <laughs> <laughs> What's that? He runs in the field, okay. Well, something before that, there's something very unique. Uh, yeah, Troy, help, help us out. The donkey talks! The donkey talks! And he, and he, and he, and he says, no, I'm not going to do this, right? He talks to Balaam. God makes the donkey talk. Well, God not only makes the donkey talk, but God takes control of Balaam's tongue. And as Balaam is going to curse the Israelites, Balaam can only utter blessings on the Israelites. Now, in Numbers, and he has a, he, he speaks for God, he becomes the mouthpiece of God. And in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, Balaam says this. As he's prophesying these words, he says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter, that's, you know what a scepter is, what kings hold, shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab. <laughs> I would like to be the Moabite telling this. And destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, and Seir shall also be a possession of his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly, grow strong. It says this, this is what's going to happen in the future. He says, I can see this. It's not going to happen now. It's going to happen in the future. There's going to be a king. And he's going to reverse the tables here. And he has to bless the Israelites here. A pagan blesses the Israelites. Of course, that was not his heart motivation to do so. And then Israel settles in the promised land eventually. And David the king comes. David, God makes a covenant with David. And God says, David, from your line, there's always going to be a house. There's always going to be a family. There's always going to be representatives of you. And one of those, and this is a forever representative that's going to come through your line. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen. And David says, that's awesome. Um, and he's stunned by it. And he says, I wanted to build you a house, a temple, because we just had this tabernacle, this temporary uh, place here. I wanted to build you this temple here um, since you know we're, we're, we're conquesting our enemies. And the Lord says, David, I'm building you a house. I'm building you a forever dynasty out of your line, the kingly line. And we'll build a house. We'll build a temple, but it's not going to be you. And so who builds the temple? Another kid, help me out here. 
joy you're on today. David's son. Anybody know David's son who built the temple? Adults, you can help too. <laughs> Solomon. Solomon built this amazing temple, right? And, and it's stunning to the world, even. So stunning, and God uh, puts a blessing on, on Solomon that in 1 Kings chapter 10, I want you to flip over there and see that the world is coming to see God's blessing on Solomon. And so in 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 and 2, it says, And when the king of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. Remember, he was very wise. He wants to see how wise he is. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, or a, a, a big caravan of stuff, with camels that bore spices and very much gold and precious stones and and when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And she's, she, Solomon shows her his kingdom and, and the things that he's done. And uh, she says, wow, the half wasn't even told. She's, she's obviously amazed by this very thing. And she becomes bringing gifts, gold, to Solomon. And you remember Solomon's folly. Right? The very next chapter, 11, verse 1. But, it is all the things that Deuteronomy 17 said not to do. Well, the kingdom splits apart after that through his son. And there's a southern kingdom and there's a northern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel is taken captive by Assyria. And they're taken captive and they're hauled off and we never hear from them again. They become what's called the Sumerians. Their lines are wiped out. We can't trace their, their, their descendants. Sumerians were Assyrians who intermarried with, with, the, with the Hebrews of the northern kingdom. But there's a southern kingdom because God's going to keep his promise to David. And the southern kingdom's called Judah because that's where David's line was from, Judah. And there's a king in Judah and his name is Hezekiah. He's a decent king for a while, but he doesn't really end very well. He's kind of mushy at the end. And one of the things he does is... Um, there's a growing kingdom in the east of Israel. Assyria has kind of dwindled by then. And there's a growing kingdom, and it's called the kingdom of Babylon. And it's ruled by Nebuchadnezzar at this time. And Hezekiah invites some ambassadors, some representatives of Babylon, to come into Jerusalem. And to see the glories of Jerusalem. And he shows him some of the wealth of the temple of Solomon. And in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 1, at that time, and you can pronounce that name, <laughs> the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent letters in the present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them, the Babylonians, the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house, nor in all the dominion, that Hezekiah showed to them not. He says, wow, thanks guys. Come on, let me show you what's going on here. And he shows them treasure. Which to a growing empire you kind of 
that's kind of bloodthirsty and wants to expand and kind of wonder about, right? What he does. And it's through that that what happens, the Babylonians begin to think, yeah, you know what? We're, there's a lot of stuff there that we could take advantage of. And they begin to set their eyes on besieging the southern kingdom and taking Israel and Jerusalem. Well, verse 6 of Isaiah 39 tells God's opinion about what Hezekiah did. Behold, the days come that all that is in your house and that which your fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And of your sons that shall issue from you, which you shall father, shall they take away, and it shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so 587 B.C., 600 years before Christ, arrives. Southern kingdom is taken, prisoner, captive. Jerusalem is destroyed. Many people are taken captive to Babylon. You remember some of those people in Babylon? Daniel, right? And others. We usually think of the, the three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Babylonian names. The Chaldeans, another name for the, for the Babylonians, are taken captive. And, and in Daniel uh, chapter, chapter 5, just a few books over, The word of God says, Belshazzar, Daniel 5.1, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. That the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink there. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine, praise the gods of gold, and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, and wrote opposite the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. They're enjoying the riches, the wealth, the gold, that had been taken from even the very sacred place in Jerusalem, the temple. You might wonder, well, what's, what's, what's going on here? Where are you going with this? Well, I want you to turn back to Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a kingly psalm. It's a psalm for Solomon, perhaps read at his instatement as king, his inauguration. We're not sure. But Psalm 72 says this in verse 10. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents, and kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And later on in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3 and 6, I believe Lee alluded to this. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. 
something that's happening in verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover you, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. So here you get to Matthew chapter 2. From the east, from that region of, 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 of what was probably Persia, modern day Iran, Iraq area, that area there, comes these pagan kings who God meets them where they are and says, Go, there's a king, a true, a true king who's born. And here this king in Matthew chapter 2 is the one, this is the child who's restoring David's house. This is the one who is the very temple of God. He is the very dwelling place of God. The one who later will say, I will tear down this temple and I will raise it up. Not speaking of Solomon's temple like they thought he was talking about, or Herod's temple, but speaking of himself as the very dwelling place of God. God with us, Emmanuel. He's, he, he will be the one who restores David's house. It is the eternal descendant who ensures that forever there will be a Davidic line. He's the temple. He's the dwelling place of God. And so in Matthew chapter 2, you have these wise men coming from the east. And God's promised plan that God gave to Abraham. All nations should be blessed. Now this is expanded. We see a little crack in Israel's model here that they had they had kept out outsiders for so long, right? And God says, I'm going to have pagan kings come and worship. And so they come. Where do they go? Do they go to Jerusalem? They go to Jerusalem. Which you should go to. That's where you would go to think there would be a king in Israel in Jerusalem. That's where that's the city that David secured from the Jebusites and made the capital of Israel, and that's where the temple was. And they go and he goes to Herod. Herod is a descendant of, of Esau and Edomite. And he says, Where is he that's born? King of the Jews. We see a star in the east and are come to worship him. They've come from the eastern lands, far off from God, but come near through his light. And Herod hears these things, and he's troubled, and he takes the scribes, corrupted scribes, scribes who uh, uh, don't have allegiance to the Lord. They, they're, they're, they're allegiance to whatever, whatever is safe for them, and they, and they, they properly, however, use the scriptures, and they say, well, this, this king's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where you need to go. And so, they go to Bethlehem, and Herod says, when you go, find out, and tell him where he is, so I can worship him too. Of course, having other motives. And verse 9 says, When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. You really don't know what that star was. There's some conjecture it was a comet, but there's something unusual about this. It moves and it stays over where the young child was. And I kind of tend to see it uh, perhaps was an angel. The way that... Um, in the scriptures, angels are the sons of God are called the stars. Verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Here's what happens. When Jerusalem hears the news of the king, does Jerusalem bow? It doesn't. But pagan kings do. 
things going east from Persia. When Jerusalem hears the, the, the news of a king, what's Jerusalem's response? There is trouble. The scribes don't seem to be very interested. <laughs> they just say, well, this is what the scripture says, but they don't want to identify that child and Bethlehem and pursue that, do they? Jerusalem's trouble, but what did the pagan kings do? They bring welcome gifts to Jesus. When this news of the king, the new king, has reached Jerusalem, Jerusalem wants to kill. What do the pagan kings do? They want to come under and worship Jesus. You see the reversal? Traditionally in the history of the church, a couple Sundays after Christmas, it's called Epiphany. Maybe you're wondering what Epiphany is. Epiphany is, 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 the, is the celebration of, of what God did with the wise men and opening the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. There's been a great reversal. The door has been opened because here in Bethlehem is the true temple. Here's the dwelling place of God. And the outcasts outside the camp are now welcomed by faith. Romans 4 tells us in Ephesians 2. And God's building His church. And I just want to give an opportunity here this morning to have Birch and Connie share with you a little bit about their trip. At their discretion, um, if you need me to stop the video or et cetera here, um, you, you can, we, we can work with that. But of how God's still doing this in the eastern lands. Lands that have been cold to the gospel for some time. Lands that have a false God broadcast. Lands from the east where in the early days of the church the gospel went forth. There are many churches in that area that expanded. In fact, you can read about some of those, some representatives in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And God's bringing it back again to the land where the wise men came from. Shining this light on his son again. The good news of his son. And right now, that region, Iran, Afghanistan, etc., here, is where there is the greatest multiplication that we're seeing in rates that we haven't seen before of anywhere else in the world right now. Though you never hear about it in the media. And so I'm going to have them share what God's doing here. So, most of you know um, we were in Amsterdam a week ago and uh, we were working with a Farsi group there from Iran. And really, uh, these are church leaders, um, underground church leaders, uh, people who are in charge of ministries or planting churches. And they are working with, there's, there's over 30 tribal languages spoken in Iran today. And so they are working with those people and they were, we were teaching them, training them how to do Bible translation so that they are able to, uh, to train these other groups how they can translate the Bible for themselves. A couple of years ago, in Sunday school, Jamie had us watch Dispatches from the Front. I don't know if you remember that. Um, one of the 
key quotes from that that we shared was, um, God did not bring us here to destroy us. Um, maybe you remember that. And uh, that, that was clear for the people that we were working with, um, that they are not acting like people who are under persecution, who, have, have, are, who are risking everything. They, they recognize that God did not bring them this far uh, to destroy them. And so we, when we watched that a couple of years ago, I think it would be easy as a church to say, that's really cool that God's doing that over there, but doesn't really have a whole lot to do with us. And, um, but through this connection that we have with these, this Farsi team, uh, South Hope, absolutely. And these, these guys are, are right on the front lines of what's going on in Iran. And we absolutely have a connection with what's going on over there. Um, and so we wanted to share that with you and, and just what James is talking about, that this, this king, Christ who came, is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of the world. And, and when the angels declare this, um, that I, I bring you uh, glad tidings, good news, the, the, the gospel. Evangelion is the word there. It's, it's the gospel. It's the good news that they are bringing, and that's what's being brought through Christ to the world. So, we're seeing that, and um, we are, if you want to get more involved with, um, directly with these, with this ministry um, that's happening through these, these teams in Amsterdam that are, are um, people from, leaders from Iran, um, we can give you that information. But I want to have uh, Connie talk through some of the details, some of the just the things that these these people are doing. As uh, it's just really inspiring, really really amazing. Almost everybody that we worked with, we had it kind of came and went with other responsibilities and sickness and, and the restrictions and COVID restrictions. But we had about eight to twelve um, people that we trained during our week there, um, all except for one of them um, had immigrated to Europe because they had been in prison so many times in Iran that they were able to get um, special dispensation or whatever to, to come to the, to the Netherlands or other countries that, that are, are friendly to people who are suffering from religious persecution. Um, men and women, all of them spent time in jail, um, mostly in solitary confinement. Um, the, the government's found that if they're imprisoned around other prisoners, too many people become believers. So they're trying to deal with this by putting them in solitary confinement. But they, they're, they were almost like giddy. They're like, but they're not successful because we need the guards to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, most of the, the people that we will work with, not only were they Muslims, but before they came to Christ, they were extremely dedicated. Um, a couple of the men were sharing how they were in training to become uh, imams or other things. So these aren't just like secular. A few of them were, but most of them were very devout. And then God did miraculous things in them and in their families to bring them to themselves, even though they're in a very restricted access country. Um, one of the women we just fell in love with has so many ministries, I don't know how she sleeps. Um, but one of her big ministries is working with trafficked women 
she's Iranian, but she started working in European countries at first, trying to find the laws and how she can get help to these women. Um, and then focusing on trafficked women in Iran. Now, if you ask somebody from Iran, there is no trafficked women there. It's against the law of Islam. And so this is not an issue in Iran. But they have what they call temporary marriages, which is basically legalized prostitution. Um, and so these women are, are very in distress and nobody that cares for them. And, um, and so they've been trying to do different ministries to reach in and help them, including a 24-hour counseling hotline. She says often we pick up the phone and there's nobody there. There's just somebody crying. And so she had to teach the counselors if there's nobody there to start praying. Just pray for them. Um, and assume that there's somebody that's just terrified for their life and can't even talk on the other end. And so they keep sharing the gospel that way. Um, there's a lot of homeless street children in Iran as a result of these temporary marriages as well as the continual war and disease that's there. And so the churches prepare. I like to think of it as like the Meals on Wheels. They have the little, the little boxes of meals and they'll take them out and find the kids on the streets. Um, literally sleeping in alleyways and bring them meals um, and sit and pray with them and tell them, we're bringing this because God loves you. He cares about you. And we're praying that you don't have to work here and live here on the streets anymore. Um, they're already working with two minority translations. We've got to meet the translators and work um, on training them. Um, they're, many of these people, um, they may speak a little Farsi or a little Arabic but they can't read um, Arabic or, or Farsi. Um, and a lot of the work is actually being done with oral Bible translations and recordings, and it's easier for them to pass, and nobody's as suspicious. If you're passing a little black book around, everybody's suspicious. But if you're just listening on your, on your earphones, people aren't suspicious that you're actually listening to the Word of God. Um, they have started a, a ministry uh, broadcast radio, um, because in Iran, most people still have radios. And so 24-7, they're, they're sharing the gospel into Iran. They have um, web pages, apologetics pages, dedicated, focused on the issues that are issues to Muslims. So when they're wrestling with why are these things happening, what's the truth, um, they can find those pages. Um, pray for them. Their web pages and TV stations and radio stations are constantly under attack by, from Muslim hackers. And I just, that was never a problem I thought about. Um, and, but it's, they, they have people that are 24-7 trying to keep it up and running because they're constantly under attack. And early on, um, they were successful and actually removed all their videos and they didn't have backups when they were new and weren't sure how all this all worked and they lost all the, the recordings they had done because of hackers. So, so we framed for them about this. But we were just in awe. Um, you watch the movie, but again, you're like, oh, it's a movie. They pick, like, deprive people, and that's what you're seeing is the best of the best. Um, and so to work with them and realize these are everyday moms and dads. We sat and cried with them. One of the, one of the men was crying because his um, daughter, who's in the 20s, had left the faith and um, wasn't speaking to them, and he was just heartbroken. And it's like they're just moms and dads and people like us that have struggled, but God's doing amazing things through them. Um, so, probably none of us will ever go to Iran. Um, we probably never will be able to. But we are we are working with these people who who can and will and do. Um, and they are uh, it is through that 
that multiplication process, that discipleship process, that we're able to train them um, and teach them how to do uh, Bible translation. But even though we were there to teach them, they were such a tremendous blessing to us. On Wednesday, one man gave a devotional. And he got up and he was, he was reading from Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and blessed are you when, when men persecute you. And he said of, of the, the team there, he was one of the only ones who had not been imprisoned for his faith. And he said, and that has sometimes really weighed on him because all the other leaders They've, they've gone to prison, and he hasn't. And so, uh, what, is that, what does that mean? And, and is, this, is this blessing not for him? And, um, and then he looks back to, the, to us, to, to Connie and I and, and our team, and he says, you know, and, and, you know, what does that mean for you guys uh, that haven't suffered, who haven't been persecuted? But then he talked about how the blessing of God is a blessing that overflows. It's filled to overflowing and it flows out to others. It's not just limited to the cup and, you know, how we pour a drink and it only goes up uh, to the top and we don't want it to overflow. No, God's blessing flows out. And so he recognized that the Iranian church is having a revival because of the persecution, that this, this blessing is reviving uh, the, the Christians and the underground church, uh, this, this, this blessing of persecution, and how uh, they, are, they are experiencing revival, and we get to partake in that and enjoy it. We are blessed by their blessing. And so he, he ended his devotional by one of the most humbling things I have probably ever experienced. He had the Iranian church leaders come and pray over our American team. And they prayed specifically for our local churches. They prayed for us here at South Hope. And they prayed that we would be blessed with the blessing that their churches are receiving because they have gone through persecution. And that their persecution would result in us having and seeing the kind of revival that their churches are experiencing. And that they wanted to share their blessing with us. And that, that just, I just stood there thinking how undeserving. Like, why is this man praying over me? And yet, this was their way of sharing that blessing that they have been blessed with. And they, they, like I said, they specifically wanted to pray for our church, this church, and that we would receive that blessing as well. 
So pray for them. Um, they are risking literally everything uh, to do this work. But thank God for them. Because they want to see us blessed through the blessing that they are receiving. And this is the blessing that Christ gives. That, Christ, that, that James is talking about. It's not just a blessing that's limited to Israel. When Christ comes, he's blessing the whole earth. Uh, us included. So, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for knitting us together as brothers and sisters with those who we will never meet. With those who are suffering today. I think of those in the Middle East, those in Myanmar that are being targeted and persecuted. Lord, hold them close to you. May your promise here in Matthew 5 be fulfilled that they would be blessed somehow through this persecution. You are a God who works in ways that, that we don't understand. And so we pray that you would bring beauty from the ashes of this pain and suffering. Thank you, Lord, for how you provide for us. Thank you that we have the chance to minister to and minister with the Iranian church. Thank you for connecting us to them and bringing us close. We know all of this is only possible because of Jesus. And so it's in his power and his might that we pray.